Amen. All right, let's get into it. Um, today I want to look at, um, on this Sunday, I want to look at um, the topic in the beginning. In the beginning. In the beginning. But I want to fo focus on the topic in the beginning. Uh, a good subtitle for this message for today is an examination of your personal growth. In the beginning, an examination of your personal growth. Growth starts somewhere in the beginning. <laughs> if there's no beginning, there is no growth. All right, so it has to start. Um, in our earthly experience as living on earth, there's always a point in time where the differentiation of living and dying is hard to see. Let me explain. Currently, um, you may not feel as if you are dying. And there is, it is hard to ascertain that you are, could be on your way to death. Then there's a point when you can really see the difference between death and life. You can say, oh no, I am definitely dying. You can feel it, you could see it, sometimes smell it, taste it. It is clear that I am on my way to death. Um, and then there, there's always a point in time where it's not that clear, right? Where it would appear as if um, I'm no longer growing and maturing in life, but I don't necessarily feel the pains of death. For most of us, that time frame happens somewhere around after your 20s. After your 20s, your body has grown in all of the ways that it can grow health-wise, stage-wise. If it continues to grow abnormally beyond its set growth stage, you are definitely expediting death. Like you can grow like this, from a baby to an adult. Once your cells have reached the maximum growth known and you continue to grow, you don't grow this way, you grow this way. And that just expedites death. Hello? Yeah. And it becomes more obvious that you are on the dying side yeah. of life. Yeah. That's why they call it morbid obesity. Yeah. Right? You're growing, but you're not growing in a way that is producing life. Hello? Now, this is hard to see for the most part because we don't feel any different. Yeah. We don't feel like we're really dying. We're thinking we're living well. And this is true in your spiritual life. That there are times where you are no longer growing towards life, but are in essence growing towards the things of death. And you don't even notice it. That the direction that God is trying to take you on is not necessarily the direction you have chosen. And you don't feel any ways like you are dying. Me and God are good. We're in a good place. I feel fine. It's all great. No, I'm good. Anybody ever been there? Now, the only time you actually notice that the period of time that you thought you were great, you weren't great, is when sin really shows up. 
when that type of falling, that type of clumsiness that happens, when that backsliding happens, when that depression settles in, when that oppression is there, when that, where did that come from? I can't believe I did that. What was I thinking? Why am I here again? Why am I going through this again? Why is this happening all over for me? This is when you recognize that there was a period of time that you thought you were living that you were actually And most of us go through our entire lives not recognizing that season. Not identifying the things that are very obvious that would indicate something is not right. One of the things I love about going to the doctor's office is sometimes they'll do what they call blood work. And blood work lets you see something that is happening on the inside before it fully manifests on the outside. Most of us don't know to go to the doctor until it manifests on the outside. So the doctor has these things called yearly checkups, where you just come in and even if you're feeling fine, even if you feel like you're doing good, even if you feel like there's nothing wrong with you, let's just take a look on the inside to see if we're growing towards life or moving more expeditiously towards death. Now there are certain people that have already done, been close to death. Maybe they had to fight cancer, some disease, some situation, some anemia, some type of situation where they say, yeah, I came real close to dying. When this happens, your primary care doctor, correct me if I'm wrong, or even your specialist might say, we're gonna run tests more frequently. I know you came through from that, fine. You, you came through from your cancer. You came through from that sickness. You came through, you no longer have the fever. You no longer, I can see you got color back in your skin. That looks good. But what we're gonna do is we're gonna, for you, move up the inside testing more frequently to make sure that we're not gonna wait until it's outside and it's really bad. We're gonna check this inside more frequently. Now, some people decide that I'm not gonna go in for this test, that I feel fine. Now, to me, this is really stupid because you felt fine before you got really sick and you were not able to identify it so the doctor says well here let me identify it for you hello hello so they already have it set up for great accountability to take a peek on your insides before you even notice it on your outsides it's a wonderful advantage but what is it about us that says we're going to fight that too I ain't got to go in and that. I ain't got to take my pill. I ain't got to do, I feel fine. How many times do you have to have a near-death experience before you recognize that you feeling fine is not the question because you could feel fine at a certain stage of death? Hello? Now, in my line of work, I have to do spiritual testings on people all the time. They never like it. It's like they don't appreciate the idea that, that we could do some work about this before it shows up on the outside. Why are you asking me these questions? Why you can't understand? Why we even got to have this conversation? Why you even got to talk to me about it? I was just trying to do some blood work. I was trying to do some blood work. I was trying to make sure that the blood of Christ was flowing freely through you, not hindered, not interrupted. trying to run some tests right because pain is not the only indication that we have the indicator that we have that something is wrong but you wait for pain you wait for hurt when the father has given a watcher of your soul 
so that we don't have to wait for the pain if you would only listen. That's good, Pastor. That's good. Come in for your review. Sometimes I schedule it. Sometimes I do it impromptu. But by the leading of the Holy Spirit, I might get on the phone with you, and I just want to see what's going on. What is this? What is that? Now, you know how you do. Be on the phone with the doctor, going to the office, hiding everything. This hurt? Mm-mm. Not at all. Well, did, you, did you stay on the diet? You were supposed to, last time we talked, you were supposed to be doing it this way. Did you stay on that? Mm-mm. Yeah, I stayed on it. I stayed on it for the most part. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you haven't been dating anybody or anything like that? No, I mean, when you say dating. And it's fine because all we got to do is run this blood work. And what we recognize is that when you talk, that you cannot be taken truthfully. And at some point, you stop losing your privileges of anyone caring what you say. We're just going to run the test. It used to be a point we could dialogue about it. And you felt open and, and free no matter what comes up. Well, I got this and I did this. No, doctor, I did have that steak last night. I know you said I got to wash my cholesterol. I didn't even do that. I know you said I need to be careful of dating people like this and going like this. But I didn't feel like it was fine, so I did eat that. It used to be a time where we could just freely communicate. And then we could address it just with your words in support of the test. But now you the person that hides, doesn't disclose, doesn't show. Hello, somebody. And so we run the blood work. Yeah, you ain't been, you saying one thing, but you, your insides is doing something completely different. And the sad truth about it is, it may not even be known to you. Is it possible that you could have something going on on the inside of your body that you don't even know exists? Hmm. So is it possible that you could have something going on in your mind, something going on in your emotions that you have not even taken the time to even notice that it exists, that you connected this thought with that thought and those two things do not go together? This is a bad connection. You concluded incorrectly. You assumed wrongly. Now that is just a lie. But you don't even notice. And you would run your entire mental program with that bad file and not even know it. Meanwhile, the virus is replicating in your system. And you're still not going to pay it any attention to <coughs> I don't know what's wrong with me, Pastor. I just feel like every, what's the point of doing anything? That's interesting. That mindset started not today, but a long periodically time ago. <laughs> An examination of your personal growth. There's some missteps that have happened in my, in my church. And I'm sure my church is not different. It's probably missteps that happen in everybody, every pastor's church. But there's what I like to call a segment of the believers and the sheep, and I've been there, where what we know does not line up with our ability to carry it. Like you figured something out, but you really are not good at handling what you figured out. You figured out that God is the forgiving and his blood never fails. And with that truth, it did not push you to, to more holiness, but gave you an excuse to degrade yourself, to take his mercy for granted, 
to sin all the more because you had a truth but did not have the ability to hold that truth accurately. You knew of God's grace and this fueled your sin. You knew of God's mercy and it fueled it. You, you knew of this and you knew that and some people are just like that and, and I took some classes and other people just think like that and everybody don't have to be like this and some people are like that. You know so much. But when I examine what that truth is doing in you, it is not taking you to everlasting life. It is taking you to death. In order to understand how God or what he intended for life, for something to live, to exist, we have to kind of go back to Genesis in the beginning. Let's go there. I want to go to Genesis, but I want to go to Genesis by way of Peter. Second Peter. Second Peter chapter three, verses three through eight. Peter in, in his last chapter is trying to, his last epistle, uh, he's trying to encourage the believers that they remain steadfast because of the dangers that will approach, that are coming, the trials, the tribulations. And so he says to them, picking up in mid-sentence in chapter three, verse three of second Peter, Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? Stop right there. Peter is saying, um, you're going to have to be careful as a believer in Christ in these latter days because it is obvious that the church has been saying Christ is soon to return, right? Now you have knowledge as a Christian that Christ has not made his second coming. This is a truth that you know. The fact that you know that he has not come has not yielded an expeditious life of holiness, but rather, well, he ain't been here in all this time, so I'm pretty sure he ain't going to come tonight so I can go ahead and just do what I... Hello, somebody. I mean, I, he could come tomorrow, but he really ain't been coming no time, so I'm pretty sure I'll be all right. Now, you have the truth that he has not come, and he is to come, but you also hold the truth that in thousands and thousands of years of preachers preaching that he's going to return even from the first century that he left, he still has not returned. Amen. I'm just trying to show you the pattern of when you know truth but don't have the ability to handle it. You have knowledge of the good, yes, that Christ is going to return. You have knowledge of the bad, that he has not returned in thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years, and everybody's been saying, hurry up, because he's going to return. And this has thus made a lot of believers conclude that he's, yeah, hurry up, he's going, we ain't got to hurry up, he ain't been coming. He ain't been coming, it's fine. I'm sure I'll be fine. I'm sure I'll wake up tomorrow. Now, you know, no, no, you know it's a possibility that you won't. But when we deal with possibilities, you know also that that's a slim possibility because you're fairly young. You don't start getting worried about what you're about to do until you got any signs that you might be dying. 
So as long as there are no signs, your hands isn't swollen, you, your back don't hurt, you don't have a strange lump somewhere, then you feel on the percentage or the possibility that I might die tomorrow after participating in this sin is slim to none. I mean, there's a whole bunch of stuff happening in the world. Don't look like Jesus is going to come back. I don't see the clouds doing nothing funny. Yeah, I think I'll be all right. You have all of this information, all of it. And what it yields for you is not an action that produces more life. But whether you recognize it or not, you take in this information and it produces more death and you feel fine. I know because I come and check on you. That's a little different. That's looking a little peakish, just a little. I'm fine. Okay, let's run some blood work. Mm, you're not fine. You're not fine at all. And you didn't even know it. Well, this little thing, that little bitty thing, Pastor, why are you even coming down on me about this small thing? At least it wasn't this. Oh, the this was when it got big. So Peter is trying to explain to them, listen, in the last days, it's going to be a ton of people that are scoffing at the idea. Why are you, why are you so worried about Jesus coming back? He ain't been come back. But the preacher got to preach that he's going to come back anytime now. That's what they got to do, but they've been preaching that. You're fine. Live a little. Let your hair down a little bit. Rest. Take ease. Right? Let's continue to see what he says. He says, knowing the, this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their what? The reason why we can take his coming uh, so casually is because we have our own set of desires. Now, catch this. You may not even know that your desires have led you to examine this truth incorrectly. To become a scoffer. Right? And the reason why they do this is because they desire something. Well, what you want to do? I want to smoke this joint. That's what I want to do. Well, what you want to do? I want to have this relationship. That's what I want to do. I want to just live a little. I just want to experience it. I just want to know this. I just want to try it. I just, these are all desires, lusts, that convince you to look at truth differently. And he says, you know, when Peter is talking, he's not talking to, to the believers. He's, saying to the, he's telling the believers, it ain't y'all, it's them scoffers on the outside. And that's just, there's people that are going to come to you that are going to try to convince you to think the way they think. They're going to try to infiltrate the church, infiltrate the body of Christ to get you to just lay your guard down. You know, I often wonder, how do people come in the house of God with such irreverence sometimes? How do you move amongst each other in deed and in action with no reverence for who God is and what God is doing? Hello? And then when pain is pressed on that irreverence, now we confuse. Well, Pastor, you really slammed us on Wednesday night. Yeah, I did. I did. You were irreverent to what God is doing. Hello? It says, you don't have the wherewithal to fear the Lord, but rather to satisfy your own desires. Y'all don't want to help me today. Well, I just don't want nobody to feel bad, but you don't want nobody to feel bad over the fact that you need to fear the Lord. 
your desires have trumped the fear of the Lord. Hello? Now, there's only one way to correct this, and it is never pleasant. It is absolutely never pleasant in no way, shape, or form. Doesn't feel good. It's not going to look good. It's going to be messy. Have you ever seen a kid get spanked? I love, I love hanging out with Duke, and I don't really, I know his mother's giving me permission to pop his hands, um, but I don't know how that goes in public. But nevertheless, we were at Barnes & Noble's the other day, him and I, and he threw some books down. And I was like, all right, well, go ahead and pick them up. No. Pick up the books, Duke. No. Pick up the books. Ah. That's what he do to me. Ah. I get closer, pick up the books. He gave me a little pout face. I don't want to do it. If you don't pick up these books, I'm going to pop your hands. Now, I think he thinks because there are so many people around that somehow I won't make his situation worse. Like, I'm already causing a scene, dadas. You're not going to also make my situation worse because that doesn't seem fair. I'm already upset. You're going to make me more upset. I'm already hurt because I don't want to pick up the books. And what are you going to do, make me more hurt? That's not going to make me want to pick up the books. You are foolish because it will. <laughs> but you have a temper tantrum with God and say, if you keep giving me more problems, you are crazy, God, because all I'm going to do is act out. You really don't know how you are wired. You can't keep doing this to me because I'm going to just flip out. No, you ain't. Pop, 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 pop. I am going to flip out. No, you ain't. Pop, 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 flip out. Every flip out you got, I can match. Hello? But that's what, I know the little quiet conversations you have. I'm already down bad. You're going to make myself, my situation even more down bad. Man, you can't do that. Just forget all of this. Forget God. Forget everything. You ain't going to do that. Pick up the books. Pick up the books. Now, he and I have had conversations when he is stubborn without pops. He just cries, and I won't let him move an inch till he does what I tell him to do. We just stuck here. Now he's at the age where I get to pop his hands. Oh, yeah. Your physical body has grown and your mental development has been established to the point where I can, when I pop your hands, it will register to this action. There was a point where you had not grown to the extent where you could register that this pain is from your action. Now you can register that this disciplinary action and this pain is because of your action. So? Pick up the books. Ah, he's just crying and crying and crying. I grab his little hand. Pop, 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 pop. Pick up the books. Ah, sorry, sorry, sorry. I'm sure he thought if you pop my hands, I'm certainly not going to pick up them books. But what he didn't recognize is the impulse in him that once I popped his hands, the only thing that started running through his brains is stop the popping, stop the popping, stop the popping. And even though I still don't want to do it, I'm going to do it anyway. Just stop the popping. 
This is the training of a child, a strong-willed child at that. The training of this individual. We tried just talking to you, being patient, communicating, giving you time. And in all the year and a half that we tried, just that, opportunities for you just, I'm going to give you a look, for you to straighten up. Now you recognize in the truth that sometimes you give me the look and you don't do nothing. I can handle the look. Like you've, you've come to this truth. Yeah. I'm going somewhere. So you come to the truth. I can handle that. So this, this is when the individual weighs all the consequences that could come. And they say to themselves, even if that does happen, I'm pretty sure I can handle it. Because you've handled all the things that the father has used in the past to train up a child. Y'all not trying to help me. Hello, somebody. But you think that your knowledge is the same as his knowledge, and he knows some things that will work that you don't know will work. Some things you ain't calculated. Some loss you didn't think about. Some feelings, some breaks, some heartaches, some, some turbulence that you have not considered, and you think you wouldn't. And he's like... Oh, but I would. So Peter is trying to tell the believers, don't listen to them scoffers, because he will. Let me show you where he says, because he will. His whereas, or where is this promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. She's talking about he's, he's going to do something. He ain't coming. Everybody been saying that. Look, the apostle done died. The forefathers done died. We ain't seen this coming. It says, for this, they willfully forget. Willfully forget. Let's just, let's just you always thought that forgetting something was, was uh, not purpose. Well, you couldn't, you couldn't, it, it happened accidentally. It, it happened beyond you, beneath you, subconsciously. You failed to recognize, again, something about yourself that you could willfully forget something. That means I purpose, when it happened, to push this far back into the recesses of my mind. That's why meditation on truth is so important, because it brings that stuff that's important up to the front. So I just forgot, yeah, you wanted to forget. Because there's enough happening in this situation where you should have never forgot. Come on, the last time you failed, the time before you failed, not this time, but the time before this last time that you failed, wasn't that enough pain? Didn't you say, oh, I would never do that again. Oh, that was more than I could handle. Y'all sure you had this thought? I'm sure. And then somehow you begin to push that to the back. So much so that now you are willing and able to move forward in something you should not be moving forward in because you purpose to push this to the back. Now, now, why would I purpose to push it to the back? Because nobody likes to remain painful, remember painful things. So it's too painful. I'm just going to stop. I had to stop dealing with that. But what if you could change it from pain to progress? Would you remember progress? Would you remember purpose? See, the issue is now when you try to remember what the consequences were that were painful, the pain is so loud that you cannot handle remembering the pain. So eventually you have to push it back. But any pain that is not transformed is then what? Transmitted. 
It passes on in other areas of your life and other family members and other situations because the pain was supposed to be transformed. So now you look at it not with the pain, but with all of the things that came from it. The good things, the positive things, the workings of God. And that since that never happened, and all you did was tout the pain, nobody was there. It was all alone. I was so afraid. It was the worst day of my life. I've never had anything like that before. It was, and that's all you think about 24-7 when you have to go back to that. You cannot hold that. It's not that you purposely push it back. Your system does not allow you to hold that long before you become chronically depressed. So either you're going to have to be doping yourself up or you're going to have to stay chronically depressed because that is all you, you want to stay in that reign. But when the father comes and says, I want to transform this pain and show you something in this. You know how much maturity it takes for a child to recognize it was good that I was afflicted. Hello? David said, it's good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your laws, learn your ways. It takes maturity for that. That was good. That was a good, that was good for me. No, no, I needed that. It was real good. So now when you remember it, you're not remembering the pain. You're remembering all the things that came from that and that you celebrate that part. But most immature children don't want to admit let alone live in the reality that it was good. It's one thing that you, that you, you, you admit it. But you could know a truth and not live in that truth. And most of you could admit that certain pains were good for you. But when I do a blood test, you are not living as if that pain was good for you. You're not living in that. That's why you got to dope it up. That's why you got to disconnect. That's why you got to shut down. That's why you got to back up. Even though you've already been down this road before. Because you don't want to admit that it was good for you. Hello? Forget that by the word of God, watch this. The heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in water by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. Stop right there. It's one of the things I loved about Stefan's dance, because it mentioned a lot about water and God's creation and what he uses. And so it says they keep willingly forgetting the idea that by the word of God, he created the heavens of old, and then he created the earth and, and made sure it was surrounded by water to which it was then flooded by water. Before we go to Genesis, let's just look at this for a second. Peter's trying to say they willfully forget that what, when God created the earth, he created it with the idea that if it went south, there were things ready for destruction. Oh, you willfully forget that he didn't, he could have got rid of the water above. Hello? No, he just put a space between the water above and the water below called the firmament. And he allowed that water above to stay for one purpose alone. If this thing goes south, hello somebody, then I will surely destroy it by flood. And he did. Then Peter goes on to say, and furthermore, where is it? What? by which the world that existed then perished, 
being flooded with water, but the heavens and the earth, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Do you really think that he has not prepared the fire? Y'all don't want to help me today. You saw, you forget that he already prepared the water and used the water. Now the same word that brought down the water, hello somebody, the same word that created the earth is the same word, word that is upholding creation until it is also the word that will bring the fire. We forget in the midst of all of our lust that God has prepared something for your destruction. Sometimes I have conversations with people. And they say, Pastor, I can't believe you set me down. I can't believe you told me I had to lead a church. I can't believe. But I'm pretty sure that if I ever had to go to that extent, I also set something in place, some water above and some water below. And said, as long as you don't do this, or as long as you are obedient to this, you don't have to worry about this destruction. Hello? Yeah. But you, in the midst of your desires, you, in the midst of what you want, I need to be heard. I need to, be, I need to go see this for myself. I'm not, you don't tell me what to do. In the midst of you wanting to be independent, in the midst of you wanting to be grown, in the midst of you wanting to experience life, in the midst of you needing love and affection, you forgot willfully that there was something waiting just in case he said and the earth standing out of water and in water by which the world then existed perished being flooded with the water but the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved he preserved it to reserve it for fire no you, you don't you don't want to if you are lustful, and when I mean lustful, I don't just mean sexual. I mean you are so adamant about always getting what you want. If you are led mostly by your desires, your feelings, what you think, what your opinion is, what you feel, how you think it should be done, how you think it should go, right? If you're led by that predominantly and not, the obedient, not to the obedience of the Father, then he's saying, in essence, you should know that I'm only preserving this, oh lustful one, because it is reserved for destruction and anybody ungodly that is in it. Your, your desires have caused you for, to forget that I intend for this thing to pass away with fire and every ungodly thing with it. It is the only reason it has not happened yet is because my word is preserving it, but it is still reserved for destruction. The preservation that my word is using to keep it up like the firmament kept up the waters. Hello, somebody is only here that it might save those in the mist. But when you don't want to be saved, hello, somebody, then please don't forget that this whole situation was already damned to fire and destruction. This, this, my judgment already went out. This whole situation got to become, it's got to be purified first by water, then by fire. Now I can save you from the water like Noah's Ark. 
And I can save you from the, from the fire, like Christ himself. But don't ever get it twisted. The means I have, says the Lord, for destruction were already in place. This is hard for us to understand when we are immature believers. And that's primarily because we live in a sequential life, a cause and effect, this, then this, then this, then this, then this. But the father who was and is and always is, is different. So he does not necessarily need sequences of events. Like he doesn't need years to pass for wine to mature. Hello? Yeah. He, he doesn't necessarily need the sequence of time in order to manifest his will. Hello? Yeah. It could just be whenever he says. Why? Because he already set it up long before when the, when the heavens were old, y'all don't want to help me, before the earth was formed, it was already established. And in that is what he wanted. Pre-planned, pre-prepared. And since we live step by step by step, we think, oh, how did that happen? Why did you do that? I can't believe God let that happen to me. What? This came out of nowhere. No, it didn't. Let's go to Genesis. In the beginning, in the beginning. Let's go to Genesis chapter one, verses one and two. Like I said, in order to understand life and what God intended about life, it will help if we understand his nature and personality as it relates to creating life. All right, let's do it again. In order to understand life, why we live, what constitutes as living, what is the purpose of it all, that we first have to understand the nature and character of the one who created life. Right? Like I said, if you gave a person who's never seen a car before and you put them in a car, they could see all these components, but they really don't have a clue what they mean. Yeah. Right? They're using the cup holder to hold their keys. This is a good, this is a rather big hole for some keys, but it does fit there. I'm pretty sure that's what you call a key holder. You and I, based off of, of our position in creation, not being sovereign, not being God Almighty, we could run the risk of evaluating what is the purpose of things based off of where we are in it. Right? Since I, I'm thinking, okay, this tube in my trunk, it, it runs up here, so that must be, that, 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 I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure that's for, that's for the carpet in the back. You can, you can take the carpet out, then you cut it. Oh, that was the lights. I didn't even know that was for the lights. Based off of your position, you have to, you try to figure out the purposes of things in your life. Y'all don't want to help me today. Based off of your experience. But your experience is not necessarily a good def definition of purpose unless you have the character and heart of the creator in mind. Like, this is a stupid place to put a, a key holder. The key holder should be closer up to where the ignition is. Well, that's because it's not a key holder. 
It's a cup holder. But I put my keys in it. No, watch this. You have concluded things about life based off of what you use them for. Y'all don't want to help me today. You concluded that marriage is about sex and children. You concluded that marriage is about not being lonely. You concluded that you, because based off of what you use them for, you have thus concluded their purpose. You concluded that marriage is so somebody could help you pay the bills, help you raise the kids, help you do this. So then you, you've concluded incorrectly. If you want to know the purpose of marriage, I'm pretty sure you need to go back to the creator. What did he intend when a man and a woman joined together? The rampantness that we see in homosexuality is because there's definitely a mismatch between what God says the purpose of a union is and what we use it for. He had something in mind in union, but we only know what it is useful to us for. It is useful to give somebody to hold me. It is useful for somebody to get to know me. That's my person. That's my thing. That's my boo. That's my bae. That's my, you know, he helps me with this. She helps me with that. So only you only define its usefulness based off of what you do with it or its purpose based off of what you use it for. True wisdom would say that you would go back to the owner's manual. True wisdom would say that you go back to the owner's manual and, and figure out what the creator of the vehicle had in mind when they put the cup holder there. The thing you use to hold your keys or your loose change. Like, why they make it like this? Every time my money gets stuck down in there, I can't get it out. It wasn't designed for your change. I put my panties down there, my chains down there, and they get all sticky and gooey, and now the panties get stuck. I gotta flick them out. It's because it wasn't designed for that. It was, it's not a penny loose change holder, it is a cup holder. Why did Carl, why did Plummy didn't give me something to help me? Why the defrost button? This is the new, this is the real one. I press defrost, and it seemed like my windows get more cloudy. It happens all the time. As soon as I press, I don't use a defrost because when I press the defrost, it just seems like it get foggy even more. So then you cut the defrost off. If you would read the owner's manual, it will show you why it temporarily gets more foggy. Hello, somebody. But it will then bring the windshield up to appropriate temperature so that you don't have to worry about it. But because it does not work for you, you assume that it is faulty. Y'all don't want to help me today. Because every time you try it, it doesn't seem to work. You came up with another. I just rolled down my window and just turned my uh, windshield wipers on. That'll work. So now you have been living beneath your privilege. Freezing cold, trying to get you. I can't see. Wiping it, wrapping your hand around, wiping it off. But if you just would have read the owner's manual, figured out what they had in mind with that button, how they intended to use it. Hello, somebody. Then if my windows get foggy and I need to put my defrost on, I move to the right-hand land, I slow down according to the owner's manual, I press the auto defrost, I wait for a second, keep my eyes focused on the line at the bottom of the windshield, and eventually my windshield will come to temperature, and I won't have to worry about a foggy window after that. Auto defrost means that it is constantly measuring the temperature of your windshield with the temperature outside to make sure that they're balanced. 
But you, with your method, every couple of minutes or so, you got to go back and roll down the window and put the wiper on again. <laughs> or it got fogged up again. <laughs> Hello? It's dangerous to live a life without understanding what the Creator intended for life. Why is it dangerous? Because he's preserving the earth for the reservation of the fire. That puts you at a dangerous spot. Because while you over here trying to figure it out, he could come at any day. You don't want to help me today. You trying to figure it out, but that's not how he intended. Are we there? Are we, where, where did I tell you to go? Genesis 1 and 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of the Lord was hovering over the face of the water. Stop right there. I want to draw your attention to something, and we could talk about this in Wednesday night Bible study for clarity. But I want to draw your attention to the idea that this cannot necessarily be, the purpose of Genesis cannot necessarily be a detailed understanding of how the earth came to be. I can prove it to you in these first two verses. Okay? It wasn't designed to give us a detail about creation. It was designed to give us a proper understanding of the creator. I'm going to show you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. Okay. It appears by the time we get to verse 2, we're coming in the midst of something. Yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right. The earth was without form. So when we start seeing that God said, God spoke, he spoke to something that was already there. How did it get there? Genesis does not tell us. It says he created it, but that's not the point. Then, based off of what was there, he began to speak to that. Okay? It says, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep. The same deep that we come to recognize as water. And so, there was, it's not that God created something out of nothing. Genesis does not support that. Genesis supports that God created something from something that was void and formless. But it definitely shows that it was something there that he used. Does that make sense? But pastor, if it's void and formless, doesn't that mean nothing? No, it does not. That's why he says, and the spirit of the Lord hovered over the deep. The same deep that we find out is water. Because if you put water in of itself, it, with nothing in it, it is void. If you don't put any boundaries on it, it is formless. Hello? Water in itself has the ability to be void of anything, just water, no fish in it, just water, no sand, just water, right? And without boundaries, it is formless. You try to hold it, you slip out your hands. Scoop it up. I'm going to scoop it up again. It keeps running. I'm going to scoop it up. It's going to keep running. Has no form. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. So when God spoke, let there be, in this aspect, when he began to speak, let there be, it wasn't nothing. He was speaking to something. But let's look at what he was speaking to. All right? Are you there? The Hebrew phrase formless void is tohubuhu. 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 Which is not new, all right? But the two Hebrew words that have been combined to make a word that is actually made in English, because uh, if you can look it up in the dictionary, tohubuhu is a real word in English. Tuhu means formless and buhu means empty. In English, the phrase has come to mean something utterly chaotic. And when, used, and when we use the word chaos instead of nothing, uh, for what we find at the beginning of Genesis, we are beginning to understand the ancient mindset about how God creates. All right? So rather than saying it was formless and void as if nothing was there, it was formless and chaotic. Whatever was there was formless and chaotic. And God began to speak. If you continue in Genesis, you find that on day one, right, God says, creates a space. Let's go to verse three of chapter one. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light that it was good and God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. Did you see that? That's three and four, right? Then God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament and the waters which were above the firmament and it was so and God called the firmament heaven so the evening and the morning were the second day then God said let the waters under heaven be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so and God called the dry land earth and then gathered together the waters he called seas and he saw it and it was good then God said let the earth bring forth grass and the herb that this that yields the seed stop right there before we go to verse 11 what I want to draw your attention to is on day one, God creates a space for the sun, the moon, and the stars by separating the light from the dark. Notice he does not create the sun, the moon, or the stars until uh, and day until much later. Hello? Then he also, on day two, he creates a space for the birds and the sea creatures, right? By dividing the heavens with the firmament. But he does not actually create the birds and the sea creatures at that time. On day three, he creates a space for land to appear, but he does not actually bring up the land. He only sets the boundaries and creates the space between land and water. Then later, he calls forth the land and the mountains. Hello? Yeah. On days one through three, God creates space, separates light from dark, separates waters from above from the waters below, and moves the oceans to create space on dry land. But on days four through six, God fills the space, 
fills the space with the sun, the moon, and the stars, fills the space with the sea creatures and birds, and fills the land with animals and humans. Do you see that? So one understanding that we have to have with God is when he speaks, he creates order in the midst of chaos first. So it's safe to say that when the father has life in mind, he doesn't have it that it's just free. That it's just, you know, just, oh, yeah, I just, what do you call it? Somebody that's real, you know, free will, free spirit. I don't, I don't think that's, you just go out, just, just live how you want to live. Love is love. Everything is good. Everything just gets, you know, that's, that's not how he creates. That's not what he constitutes life because that's chaotic. And in order for life to be present, in order for real life to happen, God first has to create the space for it. Y'all don't want to help me today. He first has to order things, structure them. He's not going to put the birds in the midst of a sea that has no form and no structure. He has to then create the sea separate from the land. He's not going to just put stars and create stars, suns, and moon. No, he's going to separate light from dark. He's not going to just call the earth from heaven. He's going to separate the heaven from the earth. He creates space and establishes order first. When that space is created, when the order is set, then he fills. Y'all don't want to help me today. People want the filling, but they don't want the structure and the order. Y'all don't want to help me preach today. Oh, you want God to fill you with money, fill you with purpose, fill you with this. Fill me with love. Give me a spouse. Fill me, fill me, fill me. Put life on the inside of me, but you don't want the structure necessary for what God calls life. I want, I, I want to be free from this worry. Fill me with patience. Fill me with understanding. Fill me. But he has to create a space for it. He has to structure it. And most of you don't understand when you are in a season of being structured. You resist structure. Y'all don't want to help me today. Half my church is not here because they resist structure. But that does not change the desire to be filled with life. I feel void. It's because you are. I feel empty. You might be. Well, fill me, Lord. I will. But first, structure. Before the giving of the Holy Spirit, which would fill individuals with the Spirit of God, there first had to be the law. I don't want to help me preach today. I have to give you the law, the structure, the order, the form. And then when you have received the law, the structure, and the form, and it has created a separation, a sanctification, a space for me to dwell, then I will fill. I can't get nobody to really appreciate what God is trying to say to us. You don't understand life. You conclude, well, whatever, stuff's going to happen. Badges, whatever, it's another thing. That pain can't be transformed. And instead, it moves you closer to death. You don't even know it. You think you're living just fine. Meanwhile, there's this cancer, this virus, this demonic spirit 
floating around in a space that was be holy unto the Father. Not polluted, not mixed in, separate. The only way I could do this is I have to call forth a spirit in you that is different and separate than the spirit of the world. So that's why we're born again. Now we have a spirit man that, a, that lives in a body, right? Yeah. The spirit man creates space to receive the word of God that we might produce the word of God. But all of a sudden we desire not to have the spirit of Christ, but to continue to perpetuate the spirit of the world and the things of the world. And it works for a while. We think, yeah, I still believe in Jesus. No, I believe in God. I'm just... No, I believe in the Lord. It's just, no, no, no. I, yeah, hey, hey, I know God. I love God. But, you know, that but you know means that there has not been the order and the structure has not been completed. It hasn't been. So we can't fill his face thoroughly until we clear it all out. Hello? And what we see in Genesis is that the father pretty much clears the table and then he starts to build. Y'all don't want to help me today. I'm trying, y'all, I'm Okay, I'm a priest to people that really want to be priest to you. The rest of y'all go ahead and sit there and act like it ain't good. We don't understand, when you look at God and how he created, it will help you to understand how he wants you to live. Because he is life. Hello, somebody. If you miss how he created things, then you'll miss the point of Genesis, which was to show us him. So when God sees chaos and disorder, things that cannot produce life, he doesn't just start working with that. No, you do good. No, I love you. No, it's great. Mm -mm. No, no, it's perfectly. This, this is how most of us aren't really saved because this is what happened. You just, so, you just want the Lord to speak good things to you. I love you. I forgive you. It's fine. You're my precious one. You're so sweet. And you were like, okay, so this means the whole time you living with a whole bunch of things all mixed in together. God does not put his spirit there. He has to clear everything out. Hello, somebody. Clear off everything off the table. Clear out this, create space for this, move all of this out, get rid of it all. Now that would feel like death. I'm nothing. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to go. I don't know. I don't have even understanding what just happened. My whole table was cleared off. And the reason he set shepherds with his heart is because when a soul has their whole table cleared off, they are vulnerable. And the only reason you appreciate me today is because I was called by the Father to be able to handle your vulnerability. And when your whole table is cleared off and you have no more of your defenses, there's someone here that will watch for the wolves, watch for the demons, and say, don't you come over here. We're working on something. But you don't let wolves devour the sheep. He clears off the table. Then he starts to build. The problem is that sometimes you have wolves mixed in. They look like sheep on the outside, 
But they never had their tables cleared off. Y'all don't want to help me. They never really had the whole thing wiped off. I don't know what to do. And you know because I can feel as a shepherd when a sheep really had their table wiped off. Because they come to me and they say, Pastor, what do you think? And there's a season in our life where they're just really saying, what does the Lord say? See, I used to think I hear him. I can't hear him. Well, do, you, do you think I heard him right? Do you think this is? Do you think this is? What they're saying is I have been washed. And I feel God building something in me. And my old mechanisms that I could turn to, I no longer have them. The old things I used to do to make myself feel better, it no longer works. Come on, somebody. You see, but there's some of us who you still got that stuff on your table. And you keep telling the Lord you want him to build you, build me, fill me. <laughs> Baby, if you're not careful, Satan about to consume all of you and you just about to be a big old wolf sitting in the midst of my sheep and I don't yield to wolves he clears off the table wipes it all out and then he calls forth he sets it in order sister Gabrielle sister Danielle were helping with the project at the house I already told them they was going to be using the part of the message. <laughs> and I like organization. I get excited about organization. I like things to be structured in place. Everything. Some of y'all, you like it, but you have not allowed your table to be cleared in order to build that. You're like, oh, that looks good. No, but you got to do it in order to have that. You got to do this. Oh, I can't do all of that. Well, <laughs> well then just admire it from afar. <laughs> Because it will not be a trait of yours. <laughs> but over time, through my mother and genetics and God himself, I've learned to really I have an appreciation for organization. Like they were putting some things, and I love I told them, I said, I love nothing more than a box in a box. When you organize in a box, and then inside that box is another deeper organization, and inside that is even more organization. <sighs> you just made me hot just thinking about that. <laughs> He said, Pastor, what are we going to do? We're going to put this box in this box. Say more. <laughs> it's intriguing. I love when I walk in my pantry and it's labeled, organized, structured. Every once in a while, I get all disorganized. In the back of my mind, I feel like your pantry is junky. And when everybody else comes, oh, your pantry looks good. But I'm like, no, them chips is over there and they're supposed to be over there. There's two spaces for chips. There don't need to be one space for chips. They don't even have a box. They're just sitting out here just really, really, really. They're not even in a container. <laughs> so. I asked them to help me organize my, my cabinets underneath my bathroom. Anybody ever have a cabinet under the bathroom that is chaotic? It's the place where you take everything off the counter and dump it under there. Now me, I don't like junk drawers. I don't like any disorganization anywhere to be found. Everything has to have a place. So I said, can you help me with this? And they said, sure. And I told them, okay, what I really want is this, this, and this, and this. They said, not a problem. I came in and I looked at what they established. I said, mm, this is, this is, this is, this is, none of this is right. And I said, well, when I say this, what made you think that this is the same as this? Well, what we did is we already took the stuff that you already had and we just, and they had a system of doing it that I could not express to Danielle <laughs> that that system, the method that you have, to organize this, to get that result, is not going to work. Amen. Y'all don't want to help me today. She thought the conversation was just about her trying to prove to me that she had a good system. Y'all don't want to help me. 
She thinks she's gonna throw past you gotta show I'm gonna let me show you how I think this could work. Let me show you all the reasons why I think I can get the same result. Let me show you how past in my in me I can see that this is gonna no 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 this can't happen because I'm looking at what you produce and this is not what I want. And the only way to get what I desire, what I will, is that you can't start with something. You've got to clear the whole slate. See, real cleaners and organizers know you can't just start trying to wipe around something. You got to take everything off, then wipe it down, then put it back. You got to dump everything out. Everything that had a place no longer has a place. Everything that had a situation no longer has a situation. Dump it all up, mix it all up, wipe it all out, then start again. And I tried to convince her, Danny, that's... Well, I mean, I was going to do the soaps. No, no, no. That's not going to get you the result. It's always going to be imperfect. It would never be clear, clean, organized, true. It will always be at the end, you got some random thing that can't fit with the other things that it's supposed to fit with. And then you got to come up with a new thing. Well, okay, I'll just put this here. But that don't go there. But that's all I could put it. The only reason you can only put it there is because you decided not to clean your slate. Well, Pastor, that's just the way I thought about it. Well, Pastor, that's just the way I felt. Well, Pastor, that's, I couldn't see it no other way. The only reason you can't see it no other way is because you already had stuff on your table. I'm preaching. I just love to tell them to help me. You have to clear all that out, which makes you feel broken, lost, and unsure, which is exactly where you need to be. And you just have to trust God that he'll keep you when you are vulnerable, that he gave you a decent enough washer of your soul, like a shepherd, that's not going to take advantage, right? And if he or she does, that God will rescue you, save you, and use that for your good. But either way, in order for life to be in me, we got to clear all this out. Can't keep none of it. Burn it all down. Destroy everything. Leave nothing. And that makes some of you control freaks very afraid. Because you have already concluded that there are certain things I have to keep in order to sustain me. You've already concluded that there's certain things I will never give up because somebody else, Satan, abused it. There's certain things I won't because it doesn't make sense to me because I feel like I can still do this and that. I can still have this and that. You've already concluded there's certain things that you can still have and have God. And you don't even understand how he works. I can't say to God, yes, Lord, I want to be saved, but I'm going to keep this. And then I want to define salvation for myself. Yeah, I'm safe. Yeah, 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 I'm safe. You can be saved with this because I know people that you know a lot. So let's say you know true that that person is saved with the thing that you see them have. But that truth does not mean that you can be saved with that. Your table ain't they table, baby. Hello, somebody. Your table, hello, your table ain't they table. Hello. Now, let me just be honest with you. Pastor did not smoke weed all her life. I was a social smoker back in my college days, got rededicated, cut it all out. Hello? Quit huffing and puffing. Thank you. 
I cleaned off the table with the father. Let him clear it all out. For years. Let him establish and build my own endocannabis system. That if by chance my mother passes and I use marijuana, it has to be under his supervision, under my counselor's supervision, under my doctor's supervision, and anybody else that might want to hold me accountable. But if it looks like me using cannabis is going to affect my church negatively, guess what happens to cannabis? It is out. Because you conclude that because you see it on my table, that it is also good for you to have on your table. But I don't recall in your salvation where your table was cleared. It wasn't clear when you came to me. It's, it's obvious it has not been cleared since you've been here. Seems to me like you got a whole bunch of things that you told the Lord that you're going to keep. And then you expect life to come from that. That's not how he works. Now we see this becomes even more apparent. When we, go, when we get down from chapter 1 to chapter 2, it seems like we're at chapter 2 retells the creation story. But it tells it in a different order. The order is different. The structure is different. In chapter 1 of Genesis, God has it let there be a very grand, majestic uh, voice, tone. Let there be and it was. Let there be and it was. Let there be and it was. Ha, ha, ha. When we get to chapter two, it seems like the creation story is told yet again, but differently. The tone is different. You hear God say and do stuff like he's talking to them and walking in the cool of the garden. And he's, he, he takes man and rather than speak, let there be man. He comes down and he makes it from dirt himself with his own hands. And, and then he breathes it with his own mouth, breath. How did all of a sudden we go from God's let there be to a very chapter two personable God as it relates to creation huh it's, it went from ha ah, to yeah so what I'm gonna do and take this dirt right here make man walk with me talk with me let's go in this garden together look I created a garden for you yeah yeah we're gonna walk we're gonna talk we're gonna water the garden chit chat a little bit <laughs> this cannot be the purpose of the book of Genesis could not be to give us a complete historical account of creation. But it is themed in such a way to get us to see who the creator is as he relates to us. And what we can definitely see off the top is one, he has stuff in play and in motion for everything. You do good, he got something in play. You do bad, he got something in play. Already pre-established. Well, did God pre-establish that I would have this consequence? Yes. But did he pre-establish that I would survive and win? Yes. We don't even know how that works. The God must have knew I was already going to sin. Yes. But he also knew that you could overcome it. It is clear that the Bible teaches this is the nature of God. What is the problem is you have not read the owner's manual. So you think, but it's got to be for change. It's got to be for my coins. It's got to be. It's not. God must have wanted us to sin and knew from we was going to sin. Yes. But he also slain Christ from the foundation of the earth. Why would he tell us not to do it? He knows he's going to do it. Because he also knows that you have the capability of not doing it. And he has prepared 
for you in case you did not. Okay, let's try it another way. The water that flooded the earth, right? He created the firmament that separated it. The water above that would come and the water below that would flood the earth was preparation for destruction in case something went wrong. But the fact that a firmament was placed in the first place was preparation for life. We think in polarities, this or that. God is that, all of that, the I am, everything. In, in case I sin, yes. In, but when I don't, you won't. Here's your promise. Oh, I get a promise when I don't. Promises. Oh, destruction. Promises, destruction, lion, lamb. We think in plurality. And God thinks in unison. And our brain, over time, by dealing with the world, has not learned to be renewed to think like God. But to always look at things as polar opposites. So if he knows, then why'd he let me? Because he also knows that you could very well not. Two of these can be true. And when you look at the lower, uh, the, the, the smallest denominator of creation, the atom, atoms function with the idea based off observation whether which outcome will be there. When you don't observe it, all outcomes are possible. The double split theory. You fire an atom through the double split theory. Scientists have proved that when you fire that atom through and you don't look, you get a wave of possibilities. When you fire the atom through and you look, it falls into two categories. So even creation itself has already built in it the idea of one or no and both. Left, right, both. And what determines it is the observer, the observation. But built in it, it could be this one, that one, or all possibilities in between. That's how he created the smallest thing about creation. What everything is built off of. And you and I have not learned to think like him. Because our lusts want us to be able to do what we want to do. So we can get angry at him. Well, if you knew I was going to do it, well, you knew I was going to do it anyway. Well, why'd you let this happen? I prepared for all of the above. And all of the above exists in me. Every path and every way exists in me. If you go left, there's a way to salvation left. If you go right, there's a way to salvation right. If you go neither left nor right but remain on the course, then you will be saved. All possibilities. We don't take the mind of Christ. When we see, by the time we get to Adam and Eve being created, let's go there in chapter 3. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. We often call this the fall of man, but Eastern Orthodox uh, tradition likes to look at it that to read the Adam story is not about a fall down from perfection, but a failure to grow up to godly wisdom and maturity. Mm -hmm. In modern Eastern Orthodox tradition, which is probably more accurate, East, Middle East, Orthodox, all right? They don't read the story about Adam as if he fell from perfection. 
And when you think about that, we don't even believe that. How could you be perfect and then fall? Right? This, this always confuses us. Like, but if he had no sin and then he still sinned, then he always had iniquity. Then God just gave us iniquity. So God gave us iniquity knowing that we were going to sin. Mm, that's really not how the story reads. And Eastern Orthodox tradition, they read the story more clearly by saying rather than a fall from perfection or sinlessness, it was rather a failure to grow up to godly wisdom and maturity. When you see Satan come, let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Stop right there. That word cunning. Proverbs tells us that we should be cunning. But it uses the word shrewd. Right? Israel as a nation is advised in the book of Proverbs to follow wisdom and to flee from foolishness. What is wisdom? According to Proverbs 1 and 7, uh, and following uh, God's, it's obeying God, following God's instructions, following the path that leads to wisdom and life in Proverbs 8.35. But following foolishness leads to death in Proverbs 8.36. When we get to Proverbs 3.18 through 20, wisdom is a tree of life to those who take hold of her, and happy are those are all who re retain her. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth; by understanding, established the heavens; and by His knowledge, the depths were broken up and clouds dropped down the dew. Satan comes to the Garden of Eden to be crafty, right, and to try to tempt Adam and Eve. To receive knowledge of good and evil. Now, knowledge of good and evil in and of itself is still good. And Orthodox religion and tradition says that the knowledge of good and evil is something that God intended for us to have. However, it is foolish to try to attend or to get knowledge and wisdom separate from the will of God. Proverbs teaches that. You can try to get something that God wants you to have. You could even know in yourself that this is what God wants for me. Yeah. I'm not even denying that that's what he wants for you. Y'all don't want to help me today. Yeah. But if you don't obtain that according to the will of God, it is destruction and death. Y'all don't want to help me today. And the main reason why you cannot seem to obtain it the way God wants is because you never cleared off the table and a way to get it has always been running in the background. A way to get it has always been justified. A way to get it has always been seen. That table was never cleared. You can't get knowledge of good and evil apart from the will of God. Number one, he says, it was the wisdom of God that created the heavens and the earth. You're trying to get what he created in a way that he did not create it. It is foolish. I'm going to get my car to start just by thinking. Start car. Start. You look stupid. Get your car to start by pressing the ignition button, which is what they told you to do. Or you put the key. 
I'm sorry. You put the key in the ignition and you turn it. <laughs> My analogy is going to keep getting better, I believe. Amen. One day I'm going to give you stuff about electric cars. And now I'm like, Pastor, we got to go to the gas station. I'm like, oh, my bad. My bad. He says, you are foolish. So Satan comes in. Let me back that up and show it to you. Satan comes in, and you know the story very well. He convinces Adam and Eve to eat from the knowledge of good and evil, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now he says, you won't surely die. And God said, you will die. And in truth, he says, you will die that day is what the scripture says. Right? Satan comes along and says, you're not going to die that day. But they did die that day. All right? They died instantly, physically. Even though for 900 plus years of Adam's life, you never really saw it. Y'all don't want to help me today. There was a point in Adam where you never really saw death. Come on now. Come on. Be careful when people with lust try, try to convince you, well, where is Jesus going to come? Well, are you ever really going to die, Adam? He said you would surely die, but it's been like 500 years. Are you ever really going to die? Yes, you are. I'm sure at some point he began to notice aging. Hello? Aging. There's, oh, my knee hurt. Oh, my back. I used to be able to do this easily. Now, not so much. What is this? People say, oh, you're just getting older. Oh, oh. No, 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 no. There must be a reason. I, must be, I need to take some more calcium. I need to, I need to eat better. Mm. What if you ate better and you still had that ailment? That means you're dying. Now, his physical death, like I said, it's hard to differentiate at certain points, yeah. right? Yeah. But his spiritual death was easily seen. The same day they were kicked out of the garden. <laughs> Don't nothing say death like hard labor. <laughs> if you give me easy labor, I don't feel like I'm dying that much. Uh, you know, I'm working, but I love what I do. So, you know, everybody else like, oh, I got to go to work. Oh, I can't believe I got to do this. Every day I got to do the same old thing. Hard labor. <laughs> you should have picked a better job. <laughs> they got kicked out of the garden. This, in essence, means that when all they had to do was tend to the garden, walk and talk with the father, and even the access to the tree of life itself was removed the thing that they needed y'all don't want to help me to stay alive it was only one tree they couldn't eat of so in all intents purposes the tree of life since they was living they was probably eaten of very often yeah i'm feeling pretty good you'll probably won't even notice keeping you alive it's good you put some of that tree of life on there this is good or the lord might come up here toss you a little tree of life fruit thank you lord thank you this is good you always had the best it is the best eat that just living and life being sustained. To be kicked out of the garden means you no longer have access to the tree of life. With flaming swords and cherubims, no more tree of life for you. So if that was the tree of life, does this mean that I'm dying? Yes. So now you have no tree of life. You got to go plow the ground and the dirt to get regular tree. 
real basic tree that is only capable of keeping you physically alive, of preserving something that is reserved for death. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all don't want to help me. Are y'all learning about the character of God? Now you're only able to go out there and continue to work for something that is just going to preserve you for what your flesh is reserved for, and that is death. He's going to preserve you until it's time to die. And so he says, that's enough. Hello? That's it. So no more tree of life. So I'm pretty sure the other way that I was receiving life, because life has two properties. It's physical for human beings, and it's spiritual. It is intrinsic. When a person is dead or dying spiritually, there is little desire for life. That's why chronic depression is a real mental imbalance, hello, or chemical imbalance, when the person in their heart should desire life, but in their mind does not. They're like, oh, something, something wrong with your brain. Really? Yeah. Because simple things, with my chronic depression, I just, I wouldn't mind dying. It's a good time to die. Then my heart says, but, don't you want to do the will of God? Yeah, I do want to do the will of God. He said, here's some chemicals, some hormones. Help, 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 stay up there. <laughs> help yourself stay up. Take this. But the desire to live is, is turned way down without the tree of life. Look at all your friends and TikToks and whatever, all the people that are grasping for things, looking for things. And then the testimonies of when they get them and how it still isn't enough and it's not sufficient and it's not this. So they had a, an instant death physically by getting kicked out of the garden. That's hard labor. You're going to definitely see that show up in your body. And then they had the spiritual death, which means that now just the enjoyment of walking and talking and communing with, communicating with God was, not, this was no longer accessible to them. I mean, he was literally walking amongst them, talking in the cool of the day. And when you evaluate how they fell and Satan convinced Adam and Eve to eat in order to obtain the knowledge of good and evil, which is probably something God wanted for them to have at a certain time. When you are mature to handle it. Because truth without maturity can destroy. It will bring death. Truth without maturity will bring death. Most of you are upset and depressed by something that is not right in your life because God has done it, because you received some truth, but you are not mature enough to handle it. Half, not half, but quite a few of my churches sitting in here who have received truth, but have not grown to handle that truth. Make sense? Let's go back to the Duke example when he threw the books down. Right? Throw the books down, eh, pick up the books, ow, eh. truth that he knows. One, he shouldn't have threw those books down. Two, I'm telling him to pick them up. Three, he does not want to pick them up. These are all truths. It is true you desire this. It's true you desire not to do it. How is that helping you? Is your truth is that you desire to have sex outside of marriage? Is that helping you? No. It's true that you, you love him and you are he, and it's true that you love her and she's a she, but is that helping you? No. 
You've got a lot of truths floating around on the inside, no clean table. And none of them have been, they given, been given to you in a way that you are not able to bear them. The truth is, he threw the books down, and he doesn't want to pick them up. The truth is, now I stand as authority saying, pick them up. The truth is for him, that me telling him to pick up and to do what he does not want to do makes him feel horrible. Truth is, I'm going to do it because you just spanked me. Good job. Now, I know what you're thinking. Good job. How can I live like this? How can I live where what I desire, I can't do it because you tell me not to do it? How is that real living? Everything I want, you tell me no. Everything I can't hear, you say no. You pop my red balloon, Pastor. You put this down. You smack that out of my hand. Everything I want, you tell me no. Now, that's where Satan gets you because in that statement is a lie. Everything God says is not a no. And everything he gives you is not something you don't want. There are things that he says yes to. There are things that he gives you that you did want. That he's actually put you in a garden to sustain you. So let me get, so number one, that's how he always throws in the lie in the midst of what you don't like. Dude is like, you, now you're making me pick it up. So every time you're going to make me do what I don't want to do. Yes, I am. If it's right for you to do it, I'm going to make you do it when you don't want to do it. Parents call this training. Because they know one thing. If I don't train this child to do what he or she does not want to do right now because I say so, then they will never learn the value of doing it that they might also do it because they want to. Y'all don't want to help me today. Y'all don't want to help me today. Hello, somebody. See, some of y'all don't. You love organization. Huh? Huh? You love it. But when I tell you what it costs, come on, somebody. How many times you got to do what you don't want to do? How many times you got to put what you don't want to put? Get up in the middle of the night, stay up till 3 o'clock in the morning, go to bed, wake back up at 6 o'clock. When I show you what it costs, you say, oh, that's too much. Which means you will never possess that trait in of yourself. But if you could be trained by a mother that will say, now put it, no, no, dump it all out and start again. No, 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 dump it out, start again. Dump it out, start again. You ain't going to bed till the dishes is clean. You ain't going to go to bed till this is done. I, I get up, get up, get up, wake up, wake up, wake up. And nobody told you to be up all night on your phone. Get that homework done. All of a sudden, when you start making A's, come on, somebody. All of a sudden, when your house is clean. All of a sudden, when you're busy and things still look good. All of a sudden, when you're stressed and you're still moving forward, you look back. Look at that training you say my God I have become what other people desire when God try to train you you don't even understand you think it's not real life if you got to tell me what to do all the time no it's not but this is not where it ends but you can't have real life until we clear everything off and establish order and structure. Then when we establish order and structure like a space in a womb, then we can add life and life more abundantly. But you can't have life more abundantly if you have not allowed the spirit of the Lord to create a space and structure for it. 
You can't have life more abundantly. What you see other people have. Other believers. It seems like it's so easy for them. Yeah, it is now. You're right, it is easy now. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. His yoke is easy. It's burning. It's light. Yes, ma'am, it is. God's burden don't seem like to me. It's not going to. Not right now. It's after. You can't live nothing now. You haven't been trained. That truth brings death to you because you haven't been trained. So no matter how Duke feels like, oh, this ain't going to keep going because I'm not going to, you're going to keep, I'm just forget it. I'm just going to be mad. You're going to tell me, are you always telling me what not to do? And he thinks that somehow this will make me back down. That he's sobbing and sad. Or he really mad. He doesn't even know what's coming up for him next. See, there's another part of his, of his growth and development that when we are able to communicate, when you're able to use your words and you're able to understand your words, then I'm going to start communicating to you the purposes behind these things. Y'all don't want to help me today. And when I communicate effectively the purposes behind these things and you still do whatever you want to do, not only does things level up, but your destruction levels up even more so because the gospel of the kingdom came because the earth is only preserved for the reservation of destruction. It's good news to us who are alive and bad news to those who are already perishing. Do you understand? Yes. <laughs> Y'all like, yes. Talking to do. There comes a point in his development where he's going to understand. Where I've trained, his mother has trained, everybody's trained, right? To know what to do under authority. Now we told him why we want to do it. And then he's concluded in himself that even though he understands why, even though he was told not to, he still wants to do it anyway. When this happens, you are kicked out of the garden. You knew what God said. You knew why he said it. If you eat of this, death will come. But you still, Eve, looked at the tree and saw that it was good for food. You still looked at it and saw that it was good to make you wise. And you took what you knew and concluded differently than what training should have taught you. And all the times that God was trying to train you up to show you that you might say, okay, yeah, it's good that I put books back because you want them to be up. You can't just walk around messing around everything and just making a mess for other people clean up. You make a mess, you got to put it back. That makes sense to me. This never happened for you. It never made sense. You always felt that somehow you were left without. God is keeping something from us. The knowledge of good and evil. He doesn't want me to have it. Maybe he doesn't want me to have it. Maybe God doesn't want me to get married because of this, that, and the other. Maybe he doesn't want me to have it, so then this is my shortcut. And Satan is good at convincing you to take a shortcut. The Bible said he was cunning. He's cunning. That means he's smart with it. He's, he's got streetwise on it. Hello? When you go to a car dealership, anybody ever been there? Yes. Isn't that an uncomfortable seat? It's uncomfortable primarily because you know one thing, that they have been trained 
to know what you're thinking about this car before you do. And they then learn how to take advantage of what you're thinking and what you want. Yeah. Cunning. The best thing you could do going to a car dealership is say nothing. <laughs> when they go want to talk about numbers, I don't want to talk about numbers. I don't want to talk about numbers. This is what I want to pay. You don't want to pay? All right, bye. Because <laughs> as soon as they talk about numbers, get you to talk more, get you to evaluate. You walk out of there thinking, okay, this is good, until you get home and see that bill. What did I do? Why did I let that man convince me? How am I supposed to pay this car note plus the insurance plus this? And why they got this weird setup payment schedule? I got to do two payments a week. Two people can do two payments. I don't even, I don't even know what I was doing. Some people have gotten got by people like this. Got yeah. got bad loans, bad deals. Hello, somebody. Now, others of us had parents who not only told us what to do, but when we had to buy our first car, went with us, sat down with us, talked on behalf of us, showed us what to do, what not to do. My mom used to get so mad at me because I would be telling everything. She'd be like, shut up. And the man, he's just so nice. He need to know that I do have an extra thousand dollars in my bank account if he want me to give it to him. You, you, you talk too much. You say too much. This is not what it's about. <laughs> like, mama, he's just so nice. He's very trustworthy, mom. <laughs> you don't understand anything. I do understand stuff. You always mean. That's how we look at authority. You don't understand, I don't have to always be like that. No, you don't understand. Now Satan was trying to help us. Satan was trying to help you. If you think there is any life in doing something in a way that God tells you not to do it, you are a fool. Hello? Proverbs comes along and says, look at this. Well, I gotta give you, I'll close it. I think it was Proverbs 3 or something. Yeah? Yeah? It says that wisdom is a tree of life. No, 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 no. You were told no more tree of life for you. Kicked out of the garden. No more. None. And then the reach around. Y'all don't want to help me today. Is if you would seek God's wisdom. Y'all don't want to help me today. If you would just seek the wisdom of God over your own lust. Over your own desires. Over your own opinion. Over what you want. Then that too can be a tree of life again. As if you're back in the garden. Oh no. Could it be that the kingdom of God has actually come on earth? You can't get filled with life. If there's no, been no space cleared and no maturity built and discipline and obedience builds maturity. I'm sure Duke is thinking, it can't be like this. She's going to break me. I'm never going to like her again. You will. You will. I ain't going to talk to her ever again. What are you, five? You will. <laughs> nope, nope. And it's not until you get your teen years does that bitterness really have a chance to stick in. Now you really don't have a relationship with your parents. Now you always had a bad relationship. It really stuck now. But for a while you were purposing for it to stick. Hmm? So I'm sure he says, you can't keep disciplining me like this. This is not real life. This is not real living. It's not. 
but you're not done. You're not done. And you crave and desire like a woman that is barren, life to be in you. But if you try to carry the truth, the life, without being fully developed to bear it, to bear it, you will miscarry. And there are plenty of children of God who have miscarried the gospel. You have ruined the testimony you preached. Y'all don't want to help me today. You were carrying the gospel and then up oh, you fell. Everybody thought you was loving on God. You was going to church all the time and then pfft. The life that he sold is now on the floor and all of your drama and all of your mess and all of your lust and all of your desires. Don't put that on God. You had truth, but then refused to mature. There was a point where I know God said you need to keep doing it like this. Do it like that. Go over here like this. And you said, nah, nah, this seems better. I can get the same result like this. And then you miscarried. Most of you prize yourselves on when somebody gives instructions, trying to figure out what is the purpose without even asking them. And you want to know the purpose without asking them so that you can come up with an easier, better, more proficient way for yourself to do it. Yeah, Pastor, it gets the same result. No, it doesn't. No, no, God, it's the same thing. I mean, if your goal is just to teach me this, then okay, then that teach me that, and I learn that. No, it's not. But it can be used for this. Not well. Not for long periods of time. Not under much pressure. Not under the strain. Not when years and years and years pass and the father has not returned. Not when years and years and years pass and you're still not married. Not when years and years and years pass and you still don't have a bank account that's stacked with cheese. Not when years and years and years. See, you were going for this result. Y'all don't want to help me today. But you were not prepared for the amount of time that God had already predestined that that thing would happen. And now with the bearing of that truth that is taking so long, that is taking so long, you begin to crumble. You start taking off your clothes and start rolling up a joint and, and start dealing and dallying and everything because it's taking too long, which means you had the truth but not the maturity to carry it. Standing all over the house. 